All right. Everyone will start making their way back to their seats. We'll get started this morning. It's good to be back here. I've been away for uh, two weeks. I don't know what day got back, but um, eight time zones different, so um, not quite starting to think kind of normally. Dan and Kim are gone for a couple of weeks for vacation. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I'm John. I'm the assistant pastor. Dan, our lead pastor, is, is, is gone for two weeks. Uh, but uh, we are here, and we're glad to be here today. Um, we're in the second half of, the, of Acts 27, and Paul is in the middle of a 14-day storm uh, in the Adriatic Sea, in the middle portion of the Mediterranean Sea, uh, between Crete and Malta, and Malta is just south of uh, Sicily in Italy, and eventually he'll have a shipwreck there. But Paul's had his multiple hearings, and he's appealed to Caesar rather than being released back to the Jewish leaders and going to Jerusalem, which is fulfilling the promise that he had in Acts twenty three eleven, where the risen Christ appeared to him in his prison cell and said to him, "'Take courage, for as you've testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify.'" In Rome. And so that's where we'll pick up this morning. We'll start reading in Acts 27 21, Acts 27 21, and we'll go through the end of the chapter. So here now the reading of God's word. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and have not set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the 14th night had come and we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found 20 fathoms. A little further on, they took a sounding again and found 15 fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged all of them to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the weed into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and left them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow stuck and remained immovable, 
and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that through the working of the Spirit in and among us this morning, that you would open up this passage of Scripture for us. I pray that we would see your servant Paul as he testifies of his faith in you, and that we might, as he wrote to the Corinthians, be imitators of him as he is of Christ. For all these things in Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled today's message, Lessons in Leadership. In leadership, it certainly isn't something that there's a lack of information on. Just typing the word leadership into Google, you come across millions of websites with definitions of leadership, the keys to leadership, qualities of a good leader, different leadership styles, how to be a good leader articles, why leadership is important, principles of leadership, courses, seminars, institutes, and skills. It seems that just about everyone that's out there has something to say on leadership. I looked up books on leadership on Amazon and it came up with, and it told me there were over 50,000 results for books on leadership. So there's certainly a lot of things that you can read about leadership. I was kind of intrigued, so I scrolled through the list just to see what some of these books were. And there were classics, such as ones of How to Win Friends and Influence People, one of the great classic books. Uh, one of the ones that's become more popular as of late, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. It's quite a dogmatic title. It makes me really want to argue with it. Uh, but they're, they're pretty good. Even, they're kind of useful. Um, others, uh, I think we would find a lot of truth in, uh, even though they are humor. One was called Surrounded by Idiots. Uh, I think a lot of us probably feel that way on a daily basis. Um, some were quite intense. Uh, this one was Extreme Ownership, How U.S. Navy SEALs Lead and Win. So a little intense. Um, others, you probably just needed to read to understand and it was just simply called The Wisdom of the Bullfrog. No idea what that meant, but apparently bullfrogs have some kind of wisdom to teach us. So if there's already so much out there about leadership, why the need for more talk about leadership in today's message? Well, as I read and outlined uh, today's text, it was Paul's actions as a leader in this situation that really stood out to me in what was really a, quite a difficult situation. Because really by all earthly measures, Paul shouldn't have been a leader in this crisis. We're all used to seeing him as a, as a spiritual leader, but we're not used to seeing him as a leader in what would be considered a more secular situation. He was a prisoner traveling with other prisoners under the control of a Roman centurion and multiple soldiers. And though, even though Paul wasn't your ordinary prisoner because he had appealed to Caesar and had been declared innocent by several Roman governors, prisoners don't usually get to call the shots when they're being transported. Paul also wasn't a sailor. Now, Paul had traveled on quite a few boats and experienced several shipwrecks at this point in his life, so he had a good bit of knowledge of the sea, but he wasn't a professional sailor that would have been on this type of boat. It was a large grain ship under the direction of a captain and, and had many experienced, probably full-time sailors. Historical accounts of ships that carried grain like this from Alexandria to Rome weighed up to 2,900 tons with, when they were loaded with cargo and would have been 180 by about 45 feet. 
Now, we saw this in last week's text, that the captain and, and the sailors and even the soldiers and the centurion decided against Paul's advice to leave, go ahead and leave Crete and sail for Italy, even though they were late in the season, at which point they normally didn't sail, and time was running up against them. So why talk about leadership? There's a famous quote that's out there that everyone is a leader because everyone influences someone. Everyone is a leader because everyone influences someone. Whether you think of yourself as a leader or not, the fact is you are because each of us influences someone for better or for worse on a daily basis. But more importantly than being leaders is the fact that we are godly leaders. So I want us to briefly look at five attributes from Paul that we can find in today's text that I hope each of us can apply to our lives and then apply to whatever sphere of life we may find ourselves in throughout the week. The first attribute we find in verses 23 and 24 is that leaders know that they are God's servants. Leaders know that they are God's servants. And we read, there stood before me an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. Now, servant leadership as a whole is not a new concept, and nor is it limited to the religious sphere. There are quite a few books that talk about how leaders should be servants to those around them. And many, many leaders in, in, in corporate spheres and other things would do quite well to actually learn that concept. And it echoes what Christ said, and that whoever would be great among you must be your servant. But servant leadership in that way isn't the main point I want to make here. The point I do want to make is that what I would consider the single biggest difference between Christian leadership and secular leadership development is the recognition that Christians are servants of God first and foremost. Christians are servants of God first and foremost. And there's many ways that you can think of yourself as a leader and in the role that you find yourself. But your identity when you think of yourself should be, I am God's servant. Just like Paul said, the God to whom I belong and to whom I worship. We're not our own. We're God's twice. We're God, God has right over us by right of creation. And then also through bringing us back into salvation. Paul wrote this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. We as believers should be led by the Spirit, not our own thoughts and plans, so that everything that we do, every interaction we have as a leader, is governed by the fact that God is the primary leader in our life. We are His servants. Therefore, every action and interaction is an act of worship to the living God. So if we're to be leaders like Paul, we must realize that we are servants of God first and foremost. That is our primary characteristic as a leader. Second, leaders trust in God's sovereignty in every situation. In verse 24, it says, Do not be afraid, Paul, for you must stand before Caesar. Now, we know that Paul had been promised in his prison cell, and we referenced this earlier, that he must testify of the risen Christ in Rome just as he had in Jerusalem. And we see this theme of Paul trusting God and resting in God's sovereignty and God's plan for his life multiple times throughout the book of Acts when he's been imprisoned and beaten and, and, and near death multiple times. 
Now, I will grant you that trusting in God's sovereignty is a very, very easy thing to say, but it's a much harder thing to do. And if you're like me, I think I'd find it a bit easier to trust in God's sovereignty sometimes if an angel of the Lord appeared to me directly and told me what God's plan was for whatever difficult situation that I was going through. Some of you here know of my former profession and, and, and the fact that I have epilepsy. And this is something that over the last few months that, that, that I've really been wrestling with, of, of what's God's plan for my life and, and, and where do I fit in and what, what do these things mean? And I know that God is sovereign and that God has a plan, but I'd really like to understand a bit more of it sometimes. I don't know if it's possible to, to overuse a verse, but it is possible to misuse a verse. And one verse that's misused quite frequently is also one of the ones that's most comforting in the entire Bible. And that's Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, one of the key things to notice in here, and this is the way it's misused, is it doesn't say that everything that happens in your life will be good. We know from experience that that is not the case that happens. Sickness is not good. Death is not good. Losing your job is not good. Financial difficulties are not good. But rather that God will take all of these things and work them together for your good, even those things that are bad. Those of us who have been redeemed by Christ, through, by grace through faith, have been called by God. Thus, he has a purpose for each and every one of us here in this room. He has a plan for every one of our lives. The problem is, is what we think is for our good isn't always what happens in life. God's plan isn't ours. Paul certainly wasn't in the middle of a good situation. He was in the middle of a 14-day storm in the middle of the sea as a prisoner with sailors having no idea which direction they were facing, where they were going, but God was working even in that situation for good. A quote that was one of the most transformative things in my life, and I often use it in sermons, and haven't for some time, is from A.W. Tozer. And it's what a man thinks about when he thinks about God is the single most important thing about him. What a man thinks about when he thinks about God is the single most important thing about him. That's why it's important and why it's necessary that we spend time reading of God, that we spend time learning of God, his character and who he is, to see his steadfast love, that we see his righteousness, that we see his faithfulness, his goodness, his mercy, and his grace. And so that when we view God correctly, we start to view and think of things differently. And when we view God correctly, we're able to trust and rest in his sovereign control of our lives because we understand more about him. So godly leaders trust in God's sovereignty in every situation. Third, leaders boldly speak truth based on God's wisdom. Leaders boldly speak truth based on God's wisdom. We're told in verse 27 that after 14 nights of a horrendous storm, that the sailors sensed that they were approaching land. <clears throat> so they started throwing a line overboard that had a lead weight attached. And this was, by throwing this overboard, they were then able to measure how far it dropped and then how deep the sea level was. First, it was 20 fathoms, or, or 120 feet, and then 90 feet. And when they reached this point, they dropped four anchors from the stern, or the back of the ship, to hold them in place in hopes that morning would come 
and they'd be able to get some idea of their bearings, of where they were in the midst of this sea. Now, anchors are usually dropped from the bow or the front of the ship, and it's under this guise that some of the sailors are lowering the lifeboat into the sea to try to escape, that they're going to lower anchors from the front of the ship. But Paul noticed this and quickly said to the centurion and the soldiers that unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. So the soldiers stopped this plan and cut away the lifeboat and let it drift away. Now, Paul directed a decision that was probably quite unpopular with those on board. The lifeboat was cut away. The, soldier, the, the sailors who wanted to get away weren't able to get away. They were desperate and they were scared. But it was for their own good and for their own lives that Paul directed this as he did. And it didn't come from his own thoughts and his own desire and his own wisdom. It came from the wisdom given to him by God. He'd been promised by the angel in verse 24 that God has granted you all those who sail with you. So just as Paul had been promised protection that he would arrive in Rome, so God had chosen to protect all those that were on the boat with him for the sake of Paul. The only caveat was they had to stay on the boat. There was no other way of being saved other than for everyone that was there to stay on the boat. And there are times in our lives when we have to speak truth boldly with wisdom that comes from God. It may be those who are unsaved and need to hear of the saving and atoning work of Christ in their lives. It may be to fellow believers that we see drifting into sin and doing things that we know that's to their harm, that we need to speak up into that. Often, it really is far easier just to sit back and do nothing, either out of fear of not wanting to, quote, get involved. It's none of my business. Who am I to judge what they're doing? But Paul wrote in Galatians 6, 1, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So the goal into speaking wisdom and God's wisdom and truth into these situations isn't to shame or punish, but rather to bring that person back into fellowship with Christ and to leave behind the harmful and destructive pattern of behavior that they were in. We can speak truth with authority because it isn't based on our preferences or, or our personal beliefs or anything like that, but it's based on the unchanging truth of God and the unchanging truth of his word. And we, may we be wise and study God's word to know the difference between our preferences and beliefs and what's the truth of God's word. So leaders boldly speak truth based on God's wisdom. Fourth, leaders encourage others through their faith in God. Read this in verses 34 through 36. Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. And something that as you read, as you read this scene that is, that is vaguely reminiscent of what Christ did with his disciples at the Last Supper, Paul gathered all 276 people that were on the ship. The crew, the soldiers, prisoners, everyone gathered together into what was likely the innermost part of the ship. The anchors were down, dawn was coming soon, and they were all there huddled together. And he hinted that none had eaten for 14 days due to the suspense, the amount of work that they were doing to just try to keep the ship afloat, try to be pointed in the right direction. 
and the hurricane force winds that were tossing them around in the sea. And it's most likely that now that they knew that they were near land, that something good was coming in the morning, that they could calm, beat down enough together and to finally take some food. The suspense and fear had started to dissipate. Now, we know from, from history that sailors were especially superstitious, and they had a whole pantheon of gods that, that ruled over the sea that they attempted to appeal to for favorable sailing conditions and, and safety on their journeys. No doubt many appeals had gone out to these gods and promises made to, of what would happen and what they would do in an attempt to win the favor of these gods. Others on the ship were probably appealing to their, to their own set of gods and their own deities that they worshiped. But Paul took this moment with, gathered with everyone together after 14 days of being tossed about to share his faith and the God who created everything and the one who rules over all the earth. The one who created and controlled the sea was truly responsible for their protection, even though their pride and their greed of setting out from Crete had put them in this deadly situation in spite of the warning of Paul. After the reiteration of the promise of protection that God had given them, Paul took bread and gave thanks to God for it in front of all of them and broke it and passed it around and all of them began to eat. Though they may not have fully realized it at this time, God had chosen to spare the life of all 275 others on board for the sake of his servant, Paul. Paul demonstrated an abnormally calm demeanor under the most difficult of circumstances because he had an unwavering faith in God. And this had to be noticed by the other 275 people around him that there was something different about this particular man and his faith and what he spoke of. And that made a difference in encouraging those that needed it for the danger and the unknown that still lay ahead of them. So leaders encourage others through their faith in God. And fifth and finally, leaders live godly lives that earn respect. Leaders live godly lives that earn respect. In verses 42, the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. We read of a series of maneuvers that were made for the, for the ship to run ashore, uh, but the ship was broken apart in the process. And the only way to get ashore was to jump in the water and either to swim or find some piece of the ship and float on to safety. And the question is there, why would the soldiers want to kill the prisoners? Well, according to Roman law, if a soldier were to allow a prisoner to escape, the soldier was liable for the same punishment that awaited that prisoner. So we're not told much about the prisoners there or what kind of punishment that was there. Some of them may have been there for capital offenses and, and were on their way for execution. So this was purely out of self-preservation for these soldiers, that they died in a shipwreck and Romans probably would not have thought anything of it. But if the prisoners escaped, then the Roman soldier's life was at risk. However, the centurion in charge stopped the killing of the prisoners because of his desire to save Paul. This Roman centurion owed nothing to Paul, especially nothing that would endanger his own life or the life of the soldiers that were under his command. But Paul had lived his life on this long journey that even someone who, as best as we know, had vastly different religious beliefs, desired to save the life of Paul. And I think that's one of the ultimate signs of respect. And so I just ask this question, how do we live our lives day to day? 
even if there's vast disagreement on issues of religion and what is right and what is wrong, does our manner of speech, does our manner of conduct earn the respect of those around us? Respect not by demanding it, but by living according to the example laid out by Christ in Matthew 22, where he summed up the law in these two statements, that we should love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. So leaders live godly lives that earn respect. Paul still hasn't made it to Rome to testify before Caesar of the risen Christ as he'd been promised, but God was still in control of everything that's happening and the things that are yet to come, and we know that God is faithful to his promises. Each of us influences someone every day, so every one of us in this room is a leader. Whether you like it or not, you are a leader. The basic question is, what type of leader will you be? My prayer for each of us this morning is that we would live knowing that we are servants of God, that that would be our identity as a leader, not whatever tag we've been given by whatever personality test that we've taken, that we would trust in God's sovereignty, that we would speak truth based on God's wisdom, that we would encourage others in the faith that we have of God, and that we live a godly life that earns respect. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that even through narratives of storms and shipwrecks, that you've given us godly examples that we can follow. I pray that all of us this morning would build ourselves up in the truth of who you are so that we can point others to the hope that you've given us and the hope that only comes through our risen Savior, Jesus Christ. It's in your name we pray. Amen.